is a combination of a few things. He is uh, from from a a band that I think is finally going to get uh, the recognition it's long deserved with the re-release of, uh, well, the upcoming re-release of their album One Night Stay that's been out of print for 15 years. In addition to that, we're also going to try and figure out if we either played shows together or we were just on flyers for shows that were supposed to happen together. I am very excited to welcome Dave Gorman from Orange Island to Why Did We Ever Mate. Dave, how are you? I am great, Wes. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So full disclosure, you and I had already immediately started talking before we recorded and yeah, all the good stuff's already gone. Sorry, yeah, we, everyone. Yeah, we when, when you hear it this time around, we it's rehashed. We've already yeah. we've already <laughs> sucked the excitement out of it. Uh, It'll so, all be fake laughter at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, how wild is it to be back in this? Back in the shit, man. How how wild is it to be back in after after all these years? It's it's very surreal. Um, I want to say I was thinking this morning about the the time that Casey uh, Casey from iodine had texted me a couple years back now Mm -hmm. early in the pandemic and was like, hey, man, I'm thinking about maybe doing some special re-releases from some of the early iodine stuff, some of the stuff that I really love and and passionate about. It would be like a passion project, nothing crazy. I won't ask a lot of you guys or anybody else, but like, you know, just like, let's, let's do something fun. Let's re-release something. Let's, you know, you want to work on a, on a fun project. And I was like, hell yeah, dude, that sounds amazing. Like, let's, mm-hmm. let's, you know, let's talk to the guys. Let's consider that. We'll, we'll kind of like, you know, figure out whatever you want to do. We'll, we'll play it with your, um, you know, however you want to move this forward, how, whatever your time frame is, whatever right. we're, we're, we would love to have something on vinyl, which is something that I, Looking back on those days, I always wished we had some release, whether it was a split seven inch or one of our releases on vinyl. So yes. the idea of having that like physical thing was just super appealing to me. So I was like, yeah, I'm on board. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of like the initiation of like the first, that was the first um, communication between Casey and I or Casey and the band about doing something. Okay. And it was, again, yeah, it was just, it was so small at the time when he first reached out. So I didn't really think too much of it. I knew the other guys would be like, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll help in any little way we can. Um, at that point, never did I consider, um, re, you know, remastering the album, um, titling it for the first time. Yeah. Cause the album was actually self-titled. Um, and the, the main reason for that was it was the first release that us as a band felt like, the sound we were always trying to attain. Mm -hmm. So it was like, all right, well, this is orange Island. What else are we going to call it? So, you know, but this, this time around, uh, once Casey started to really push things forward and was willing to do remastering and, and potentially do some new artwork, Mm -hmm. it started to really excite us. Um, you know, Chuck, the drummer and lyricist and I, you know, the two of us started talking more and more about like, well, if he's going to do this, let's have fun with it. Let's, let's make it sound as good as we can make it sound. Let's come up with, you know, new artwork. Let's give it a title. And the biggest thing honestly Wes that I think I personally am most excited about is we actually were able to um sequence it the way that we always wanted it to be oh Um, cool and this isn't isn't to say that 
you know, we had an op- we had a great opportunity to release that album on the label we released it on, and we were happy to have the budget we had a decent budget for the first time to record, and mm-hmm. we're lucky to get in a great studio uh, between Camp Street in Boston, uh, which was Paul Coldery's studio. Um, Paul Coldery worked with Radiohead back in the day and the Pixies, and just crazy stuff. And then we were also able to record down in uh, Maryland um, at Brian McTernan's studio as well. So between those two studios was just amazing, but we ended up wanting to sequence the album in a specific way that Mm. fit the story of the album and the label we were working with at the time really wanted two specific songs in the first four tracks on the record. And that didn't align with our sequencing. So all that is to say it it, it started out as this quick little text about let's do this fun thing from Casey, which then started that ball started rolling and it started going further and further downhill. Yeah. Um, And it, and it, it, you know, the, the excitement of being able to make it sound better, make the artwork amazing, give it a fun title, sequence it the way that we wanted to, all of a sudden it started to become real and and it started to feel tangible like not only is this just a quick re-release and now we have it on vinyl it's now becoming guess what we always maybe envisioned we wanted it to be and we just didn't know it back then or we didn't know how to in some ways speak up to for ourselves all the way and stand up to people telling us no this is this this has to be a single or this has to be this or that so Mm -hmm. um that's for me personally, I think the most exciting part about the re-release is having it track to track to track the way we always envisioned it. Cause it just brings the album for me to life in a way that I never really was able to experience it before. So, right. And so far the tracks that the tracks that have been released to, to streaming services, they, the, the remastering is so clear and um thick like it sounds there's a heft to it yes it sounds like it sounds like an all-new recording it really does it really does there were so many because we had that studio time in in beautiful studios first of all amazing you know just playgrounds right for musicians and artists to work in all these different amps, all these different guitars, all these different uh, instruments we had never even considered utilizing before. And we really, for the first time had, we didn't have, it wasn't like we had a month or something like that, but I think overall we had about 15, 16 total days in the studio between the two studios, which for us was an, was way more time than we ever had before. Right. So we were able to just really kind of dig into overdubs and little subtleties and, and spend the time on that stuff rather than just like, let's get the best performances we can and get it as tight right. as we can. And that's all we have time for. Yeah. Um, so there were all these little subtle parts that Brendan, the lead guitar player had, you know, written and recorded that were just lost in the mix and, or, you know, lost in the mastering. They were just kind of buried in there. And the new remastering was able to pull the majority of all that stuff out and, you know, clean up some things. It brought the bass up um, to the proper level. It's just, it, I'm hearing all these parts in some ways, honestly, there's stuff that I always knew was there and kind of buried and now I can hear it. So I'm super excited to be able to hear it and for other people to hear it. But there's honestly things I forgot that were there that with this remastering I'm hearing and being like, Holy shit. I forgot that even happened. You know? Um, So that was also, I dude, I'm not going to lie. When Casey 
first sent me the remaster, we did make some tweaks on the first kind of go around. But when he sent me the first remaster, I got home from work that day and I put my headphones on and I literally walked around my apartment for, I would say a solid, like two plus hours, just <laughs> listening to it over and over. I think I listened to the whole thing like four times. Yeah, I was man. So, like fucking stoked, man. Like, I, I know that sounds lame to walk around and listen to your own record, but I hadn't listened to our music in a while. And yep. it was just a, a beautiful thing to hear it in the way I always envisioned it should, you know, again, uh, should sound, but then yeah. again, also that the sequencing, those, those two together, I was like, shit, this is damn good record. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounded, and it was with changing the sequence of the record to what you guys had always envisioned. It also like, it does breathe new life into that record because it, it creates it. It creates a sequence that you guys envisioned that your vision for the record now exists. And to yes. hear that, like to hear that play like that, it has to be a rewarding feeling. It is for sure. And I think, you know, to kind of bring it back to that first text from Casey. Yeah. All, all he and and the four or five of us um, in the band wanted was if we're going to do this, then let's make it something that, again, that not just, okay, put everything on vinyl, same artwork, same everything. Like, let's actually give it, you know, the life that it deserves. So, so the five of us and Casey, the six of us essentially can be happy and proud to have that and own that and know that moving forward for the rest of our days or for the rest of however long music lasts in this world, um, it is the way we always wanted it and envisioned it to be. So, yeah. so that was a beautiful thing for the six of us. And at that point, honestly, it, of course you want people to be excited about it, you know, you know, fans from back in the day, or even potentially people who have never heard of us, then maybe discovering us for the first time now. Um, that's cool. And that's great. And all that stuff makes me kind of giddy in a way that, you know, that there's someone like me who used to, you know, search out new music and discover new music, whether it was through a band's thank you list or going into a Newbury comics and asking my friends that work there, Hey, yes. what, what's new, what's cool. What's everyone freaking out about? You know, you had to obviously search a lot harder back in those days to find, to find music, but it was also super rewarding because of that. Um, and now obviously with streaming, it's different, but it's still a similar, you know, thing. Like I spend time on streaming services like everybody and I go down mm-hmm. rabbit holes and oh, yeah. discover, discover new bands and new music on, you know, on whatever streaming service all the time, because yeah. I still want to discover new music and it's still super exciting to me to, to do that. Even, you know, 25 years later, I, it's, it's something I assume I'll always get excited about and, and just love the like, Oh, what about, Oh, Oh, wow. I've never heard of this. And then you listen to a song and it blows you away and it kind of pushes you, you know, in a direction of music maybe that you weren't listening to for a while or never listened to. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, all that is to say, I, 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 I want new people to discover their band. I want the people who liked our band from 20 years ago to hear this and be blown away by it the way that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it is for us and it is for Casey, you know, uh, at the heart of it all. And I didn't think we could end up with a product uh, or, or, you know, a piece, I shouldn't say a product. That's a terrible way to describe it, but, uh, uh, but it is tangible. I know, I know, but that tangible physical piece of art that Mm. sounds amazing. That looks amazing. It's just, 
it's just breathed new life into it for all of us and Mm -hmm. has made honestly all of us really excited to be along for whatever this ride is, whatever, you know, I mean, there's some talk right now about a possible show happening when the vinyl drops. So we'll see. Um, Yeah. You know, we're five semi adults uh, <laughs> um, with with children and and, yep. and partners and jobs and of course all those things but um i think because of the commitment that casey has made to allowing this to be what it's becoming or what it essentially already has become we're just obviously yeah. waiting for vinyl to show up um it's made all of us feel like yeah all right like he, if he's doing that then why don't we why don't we do something? And yes, the, it, it, the first time I honestly, I didn't genuinely believe a show would ever, 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 ever happen. I just mm-hmm. didn't think logistically it would work. Um, the five of us got together in the same space, just the five of us for the very first time, uh, maybe about a month ago uh, at Chuck, uh, the drummer and lyricist house. And we all just kind of sat on his deck for a little while. We talked about just some stuff that we needed to talk about for the release. And it was just such a chance moment where like, you know, it was like five o'clock on like a Tuesday, you know, in the, in the, in the, you know, early evening and just everybody happened to somehow be in the same within five ten minutes of each other oh that's it was literally like magic and it just we i was like we won't all be together and 30 minutes later we were all sitting together on deck talking and we ended up sitting in the pool at the edge of the pool and chuck's partner sarah took a photo of us which is now apparently our old man band photo but like (laughs) it all just like i i guess what i'm getting at is none of this has been forced right yes I think back when we were in the band and it was active, it wasn't that we were forcing things, but you're constantly trying to push that ball forward, right? Mm -hmm. You're constantly, in a a lot of ways, as a small indie band, you're pushing the ball uphill. And sometimes the hill gets steeper and steeper. And sometimes, you know, it's not as bad, but it's always a struggle when you're a a young independent, you know, uh, band trying to make it on your own. So to have all of this time off and then to kind of come back to it, and now instead of it just being this fun little project that, oh, cool, now we have a vinyl record. That's great. Um, yeah. it, it's 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 now becoming more of more than that for us. And that is, you know, been really exciting for me and for the rest of the guys too. We're talking, we're actually working on um some videos, um, mm-hmm. which I never honestly thought we'd make like a real actual video, but yeah, um, we've got some great ideas and we're constantly going back and forth on, on how to make that happen. Um, I think one of the most amazing things to me always about orange Island back in the day and still about the other four dudes today is none of us is the same person. We are all so uniquely. Oh yeah different in terms of our strengths and weaknesses and what we bring to the table. So now having that kind of creativity flow between all of us again, and going back and forth on t-shirt designs, video ideas, the artwork for the record, you know, all those things, like it's just been really, really exciting and, and really, really fun to, to be a part of it, but to also just get those creative juices flowing again. Yes. Yeah. And, and to, have all this life experience now that we all have and to be able to look back on those days and those times and, and, you know, have the, um, uh, the luxury, right. Of hindsight and yeah. to be able to now take this and, 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 and 
give it a second life and not again not just just this vinyl to hold in your hands but like give the band in some ways a second life and i'm absolutely yes band is you know coming back together to be a touring band again but Mm -hmm. even just the five of us being together like i said i never thought that was going to happen relating to the band the five of us see each other it's at a wedding or at a you know whatever it is right it's at those types of things so um every time i think something's not going to happen shortly after that it keeps happening so at yeah. this point now i'm like i'm just, just ride it and just ride it. every second of it <laughs> so with orange island existed at a peak time for mm-hmm. for our world of music that's a peak time to exist on top of being where you're from and being like this was like an epicenter of great music oh my god dude like what a freakish time to exist amongst like i like i i attribute i associate that time in music with the state of massachusetts in a lot of ways like oh yeah i i well i think you you think of like boston obviously like excuse me new york new jersey right um right right and then like dc Yes. Those are yeah. sort of like the, to me, kind of like the quadrants of where everything was coming from or where yeah. the scenes were, if you will. And that was, yeah. I think in a lot of ways, how you sort of classified those bands. Oh, it's, oh, they're like the Midwest style of emo, you know, Promise Ring, Braid, so on and so right. forth. DC bands, whether you start with hardcore and, and punk bands, and then you go into like all the Jade Tree bands, right? Yep. I mean, Lifetime, who, what, what bands that existed when you and I existed playing music, you know, back then wasn't influenced by lifetime. Oh, you absolutely. Lifetime. You're, you're lying. Yes. What a fucking band, right? Yes. Like, we I all have, lifted a hook from right them. now. Just thinking about the first time I heard hello bastards and was yes. like, what is <laughs> yeah. this? Yep. This is insane. Oh yeah. Know? Yeah. It, it was, and that a, was, it, you guys were in this, in this area, like it had to feel like, I've often asked people in interviews, like, did you know at the time that what you were doing was important? And ultimately most people don't, but for you guys existing where you did, when you did, you could at least feel the electricity of like, man, this is a fucking thriving scene. The heartbeat, the pulse of this thing is outrageous right now. Dude. So one night you're going to see, you know, um, cave in and converge. Yep. The next night you're going to see, you know, piebald. The next night you're going to see, um, one of my old roommates, um, one of the most amazing underrated bands to come out of Boston at the time, six going on seven. Oh um, yes. Yeah. Just, you know, it's so funny. I, I love actually, Josh. Oh God, Josh. I could talk about Josh forever. Um, actually just a quick aside while you bring him up. I, yeah. Yeah. I attribute, and I know, I know also uh, Chuck from Orange Island, I, I feel similar, similarly, I attribute so much of our um, growth in songwriting and our, um, I don't know, just, just, just grow me personally. I know Chuck also just our own individual growth as, as people playing music and people trying to create art, mm-hmm. just watching Josh exist as a human, um, always putting in the time and effort to write always. I mean, Josh and I lived together for about a year and a half, two years in Boston. And then actually Chuck and Josh, I believe lived together in that same space after I moved out for a period of time as well. But just, um, 
ethic, like his, his work ethic, I guess is what I'm driving at. He was always focused on writing, whether it was words, whether it was music, mm-hmm. whether it was melodies, sometimes he had his guitar and sometimes he had his notebook and sometimes he was just humming to himself. Yep. And when you're around that regularly and you're, you know, I, at the time I was either 20, 21 or 22, somewhere in there, uh, over those times we lived together, I, I didn't know what, first of all, I wasn't a good musician. Second of all, I was more interested probably in going out to see bands and partying and having fun than I was about like creating great art. Yeah. But here's this, here's this dude that was, you know, a few years older than me at the time that was just taking his shit seriously. Mm -hmm. And Josh, Josh was fun. Josh had a great time. Josh was there. He was always up partying, having a good time by partying. I mean, there, you know, amongst what was going on, but he wasn't, you know, drinking and doing those things, but like just an unbelievable work ethic. And, and again, like, always had his notebook with him. And it finally reached a point where I would just start asking him, you know, like, so how, how do these, how does songwriting come so easy to you? And I remember him laughing being like, it doesn't, you (laughs) have to put the work in. Like the reason I am able to create the way that I do is because I work at it every day and it's a consistent thing for me. And I all, I just remember him always saying to me, You've got, and of course, this is back when you, we didn't all have phones with us that we could just talk into a voice <laughs> recorder. Yeah. He always had a notebook. He always had a pad of paper. So if, you know, something struck him just in the moment, he would grab, it didn't matter if he was at work, if he was walking, if he's whatever, yeah. pull it out, write it down. And what I learned from that was we've all had ideas hit us in the moment, right? Spur of the moment. And you're like, oh, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a lyric, whether it's a melody, whether it's just some words where you're like, oh, it could be a great I don't know, song title, whatever it is. And then it's here and it's gone. Right. Mm -hmm. So he was like, you've got to write these things down. And, and when you're there in the moment and that inspiration hits you and you have that pad of paper, you have whatever, you know, available and you, and you immediately do it in that moment, it can then create more inspiration in that moment and sort of open up this channel of whatever comes out in that moment. And yeah. for me, that was a, a big, you know, unlocking aha moment of, okay, music isn't just about art that you work on with your friends when, when you're jamming or when you're, mm-hmm. you know, doing whatever it's, 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 it's a craft that you have to spend time, you know, working on over, you know, over time and develop ways of writing. And that was just a big, you know, um, kind of unlocking for me, just yeah. being Josh's roommate and seeing the way he went about um, his art and, and the way and his work ethic, you know, around it was just really incredible and inspiring in a lot of ways. Yeah. And what a voice, man. Wes, I was, I was really, really lucky. Um, I know, uh, previous, when we first kind of started talking before you started recording, you, you mentioned the band Elliot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, just, uh, I think obviously the way you, you reacted, I, I know you must love them and their I influence do. on you. Yeah. And uh, same for us. I mean, that, um, that second album, which for some reason right now is escaping me the title. I know you as false cathedrals, uh, false, false cathedrals. Thank yeah. you. I can't believe everyone I know is going to punch <laughs> me in the face for forgetting that. Talk about inspiration for orange Island. That was a record that every one of us was just like, fuck, this yes. is cool yes like these guys are doing interesting stuff i mean the drum loops and things like no one was doing that 
no. at that point. They, no. they brought that into that sort of indie rock post hardcore world. And no one was really doing that in the nine, you know, late nineties. Right. So right. That band was amazing. But to bring it back to Josh, um, when Josh and I were living together, um, six going on seven actually got offered a tour, a full U S tour supporting Elliot. Mm-hmm. And so I actually went out, um, on the road with six going on seven for that tour so we did it. We basically did full U.S. Elliot headliner, six going and seven main support, and then the whole West Coast. No knife was also on the tour. Who who came through the Midwest on that tour with with the two of them? Because I saw that tour. Oh wow! Was That's Sunday was, was that the one where Sunday's Best was on part of the tour? It's possible. Um, okay. I don't, I don't think there were outside of no knife playing. I think they did like a week of the West coast. Yeah. I believe the rest of it was, was I'd maybe there may have been another band that had a couple of shows, but there was no one that was on it for a, right. real, a real extended leg of it. But, yes. but that does sound familiar now that you I, say that. Though. I, the, I saw Elliot several times, but I do remember. So I saw I saw that tour. I saw the Elliot Six going on seven tour, and for some reason, I I want to keep I keep seeing Sunday's best on it, but it may have been a different Elliot tour. But you when know, you first asked, for some reason, the first thing that popped into my head was the Lawrence Arms, but I think that may just be because of the area. It could have been, yeah, because they're Chicago. I'm actually playing, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but honestly, so I talk about a lucky dude. That's right? amazing. I'm like, to tour on. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have to like tech because six going on seven is a three piece and they're all a million times smarter and more well equipped right. to handle their instruments than I could ever help them with. I basically was just a glorified merch slash bro for the tour. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there were shows that were, you know, somewhat well attended, but for the most part, it was your typical Back in those days, like yes, it was. if we get 50 or 60 or 70 people at a show yep. and I'm watching every night, fucking six going on seven, who are my friends and I had seen a bunch, but who I absolutely love and melt yep. my face every time they play. Um, I mean, again, those three, Josh and his voice is fucking bass tone. Oh my Will, God. The sickest drummer. I mean, like he's like a mannequin from uh torso up and his hands are just like, he's just oh, like yeah. jazz drumming. Like he's barely yep. even there. And then James is just this incredible, like eighties pop rock sensibility guitar player. That was just yes. such a beautiful compliment to everything Josh was doing and writing. And it just, man, those guys. And then fucking Elliot goes up and just slays the oh room. And I'm like, why aren't these, why isn't, why isn't this sold out? Why don't, why, why yes. is everyone missing out on what I am so lucky to see every night for, you know, six weeks. Yeah. You, you, you have the same, like a, a lot of these interviews I've done are almost out of the spite I have for the world not seeing how fucking good all of these bands are, you know, oh like it in, like it infuriates me that like all of the bands that Jonah's done, Jonah Matranga's done with with Far and One Line Drawing, New and Original. I look at that Gratitude album, and when yeah. that album came out, and I can look at that and go, "How the fuck was this not the biggest thing in the world?" There are there are single after single on that album. How are they not fucking massive rock stars off of this record alone? And I feel that way about Six Going on Seven. I've I've mentioned this to Josh. I'm glad that you mentioned like that '80s like power pop guitar style. Oh, because yeah. I hear six. I've always heard Six Going on Seven with like, yes, they're a part of our world. But then I hear 
you obviously hear the police. You got the three piece comparison. Sure. I've always heard squeeze. Josh said that was oh, yeah. what he's like. He, he said that wasn't the, his, like that wasn't in his realm, but like yeah. the fact that they could, I could Dude, hear the all of cars, these timeless. You, yes. You yes. hear the cars. Like, Absolutely. All day. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that was it. And that was to me again, it, and you just sort of made this point already, but the beauty of six going on seven was, is they were, and, and also the beauty of this time in music was, almost everybody was on the fringe, right? It was like oh, this yeah. Yeah. circle of like, yep. okay, you land here, you land there, you land here, you land there. But it, it was like, it wasn't this straight line. It was just like one night I'm seeing, you know, I mentioned, you know, bands you were just randomly seeing in Boston in a week, right? You could see right. the, the Piebald show, the Cabin show, the Converge show, the Six Going On Seven show. Yeah. I don't know if, have, did, you, did you ever come across the band Jejun? Oh, of course. Yeah. Holy talk about fucking amazing. Great popper. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. Um, super underrated band, super amazing songwriters. That yeah. album, this afternoon's malady is still to this day. I put that on maybe once a month and I'm just like, how is this not the biggest thing in the world? Right. Yes. Yeah. And I, I mean, just unbelievable, but that six going on seven, they, that, that, when Josh was writing and they were working on, and they were just getting ready to start, I think pre-production with Brian McTurnan on mm-hmm. Heartbreaks Got Backbeat, the second yeah. album, which to me is again, that is a masterpiece. It's of a, a classic record, record from, from our generation. From the songwriting yeah. to, yep. to to the sequencing to yep. the artwork was super fucking cool and kind of yeah. retro. That that like kind of like the the way they did the color splash, uh, and then Brian's production was phenomenal. Like, yeah. Just that again, another record that I just can I'll never get sick of. I will put on Mm-mm. and always get a smile on my face. Yep. Those tones, those sounds, and yet and to to bring it back, like th- they were part of the scene and they were playing all these shows with hot water music but and they weren't in and converge and pieball <laughs> yep. and but they were at their heart, yeah, like a pop a pop band, a pop yeah, they're a power band. pop band to me. Yeah. Right. And and they and they were not afraid to admit it either. No. I mean, they were the first ones to be like, You're right, that's exactly what we are. Yes. And yeah. that's what we like to write. You know, that's yeah. what comes out. If only we knew somebody that could pluck those albums out of out of oh. uh, out of the ether and re-release them in beautiful vinyl Dude, and you can't even find Heartbreaks Got Backbeat like, I know. anywhere. Look, you have looking to have at a you, Casey. copy or you have to be like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it kills me. Because Some, sometimes I, I'll tell someone like, oh my God, you've got to check out this record. And then I'm like, damn it, you're not going to be able to find no, it. No, I, I So I'll burn you a copy. And then they're like, <laughs> I don't have a CD player. Yeah. My, what's my, wrong with you you don't have a cd player my son has only grown up he's 15 so he's only grown up with vinyl records and digital streaming like yep. no no need for cds right and like he is now kind of fascinated by them mm. like like there's a he, like his generation and like the, how they're consuming media like he has a bit of a fascination with them like i don't get the cassette thing but like it's it's killing, so have at it. I know, I know, it's wild. Uh, but I also have to look at like the CD the same way. Like, well, you know, I mean, it now I look at it and go, like, yeah, I can see how that's a, you know, like an, you know, out. I don't want to say out of, out of outdated or out of touch, but for for the Gen Z kids to look at CDs with kind of a. Like, oh, this is kind of weird and unique, and we're going. No, they're fine. You could buy a stack of them and just burn whatever shit you wanted on. <laughs> Seriously, I know. I definitely CDs to me are more about. Well, I mean, part of it is just 
I have I have a collection just because of the time yeah. that it existed, yep. right? Yeah. Sound quality is there's obviously, I mean, vinyl and CDs have a, it's a completely different feel, right? It is. But there's day. days yeah. where I want the sound quality of the CD. Yeah. And then there's there's the times where I want the pops and the snaps of the vinyl and the live yes. warm feel of it, right? Right. And that to me is the beauty of those two. Yeah. Stream streaming these days that with all the compression and all the bullshit, um, it doesn't sound like a CD sound. CD to me will always sound better than what I hear online. Oh, um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I, but yeah. cassettes, while I think it's like, I, I mean, I get it. It's fun. It's cool. I get it. Bands are releasing, you know, limited cassettes again. And yeah. I will always have a lot of love for the cassette because of the mixtape, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the sound quality on a cassette? No, thank you. Um, but <laughs> yeah. but for, me, yeah. for someone like me who, and, and this is um, to kind of bring it back to Orange Island a little bit. For yes. A minute. Yeah. Um, I derailed us. So, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I am the biggest derailer in, in history. Everyone that knows me would, would certainly uh, be the first to tell you that. Um, I um, I was the singer in the band, right? So yeah. there's always this misconception, I think, with everybody, um, musician or not, um, or I should say, you know, not, non-musician, but also I think with musicians where, well, you're the singer in the band, so you must write all the lyrics, right? Um, and that was not the case in Orange yeah. Island. Um, Chuck, our drummer, wrote the majority of our lyrics. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm saying all this, and to kind of bring it back to the mixtape thing, I, and it took me a lot, of of time for me to kind of understand this but i am most comfortable communicating through music yes and that doesn't necessarily mean music i write certainly sometimes that is the case right music that orange island wrote or stuff that i may you know work on on my own um but i realized and honestly also this was kind of partially through chuck um uh, who, you know, is also one of my best friends and longest friends in life, um, that I have a weird way of communicating with the people that I love in my life through music. Mm-hmm. And that means through mixtapes, through mixed CDs, through playlists nowadays, yeah. right? I, it, it, there's a way that I can convey things to people without realizing I, maybe I even need to convey them by yes. giving you a mixtape, by giving you a mix CD back in the day today, by making a playlist for you. Yeah. Um, and it took some time for me in my young adult life to realize that that was something that I was doing without even realizing I was doing it. Oh yeah. No, um, I, and it I, sometimes was a lot easier for me to communicate that way yes. than to directly communicate, you know, with words. Oh yeah. And like, like you and Chuck, uh, my, my friend, Chris and I, who I've been playing in bands with for 20 years, like you grow up with this person and it, it's the starting point was, you know, a list of like giving him like, Hey, check these records out. You give him a list of records of like lifetime and hot water and the bands of our era. And that kicks off this communication where you're bonded by this stuff. And it's so hard to explain. And it's something you understand. It's hard to explain the friendship bond that is built when you're creating something together. Like Mm -hmm. it feels when you've made something with your friends, there is a, there is a kinship there that isn't just the general, like, yeah, that's my, you know, that's, that's my dude. I've been friends with this. I've been friends with them for 20 years. You, if you made something together, there's a piece of you that is tied to one thing. And it's, it's, it's magic. And I think music and more specifically our world, the 
punk and post hardcore indie hardcore emo this shit whatever this mm-hmm. is like we're that's what built this generation's bonds and the the foundation of us is we were trading records and making mixtapes and mix CDs for each other because it was yep. the easiest way to communicate these songs communicate all the turmoil inside of me right. and exactly and, and now i have a shared experience with you cuz isn't aren't these songs great yeah we should start writing music. And then the next thing you know, you've created yeah, something that yeah, has dude. that impact. And well, and at that age too, right? I mean, most people, you don't have the means and words yet and no. the vocabulary and the wherewithal and the life experience to yeah. properly communicate. Um, right. You just know that there's things inside of you that are bubbling up that are trying to get out and you don't yeah. know what it means and you don't know how to process it. And you're not even sure what to do with it. Yes. And then, to your point, you you start discovering music that moves you in a way that the music on the radio didn't. Yes. Or, and that's not to say that, because again, I was lucky. I grew up with a father who had a, a not a large, but a very high quality vinyl collection. Yes. And then whenever dad and I were in the car together and mom wasn't in the car, dad cranked, you know, whatever was on, you know, this would have been the eighties, whatever yep. was playing that was on the popular like rock or pop rock stations. So yeah, sure. The police, the cars, all that stuff. Right. I'm hearing these bands and I'm like, Oh, this is cool. I like this. Yeah. Right. And, and I, and to this day, I mean, those are still bands that I listen to regularly and I have a lot of respect for, but it doesn't, it didn't move me the way that I, um, the first time I ever asked, um, going back to, I know I mentioned Newbury comics earlier and I yeah. worked at Newbury for a long time and that was a big, huge, huge piece, right. Of yeah. sort of, not just Boston and Massachusetts, but really the New England uh, underground scene, because that was a place where not only could you find a lot of these bands, but you found other like-minded people in there that could turn you on to other bands. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the second or third time I ever went into Newbury and I asked, I finally got up the courage to ask one of the uh, people working there, hey, you know, I, I bought this last week and I totally love it. I'm looking for something in that same vein. And they told me, go check out Jimmy world static prevails. And I bought that CD <laughs> that day. I didn't even think about it. I was like, you're giving me a recommendation. I will go take it out of its slot. I will pay for it happily. Yep. Yep. And I put that in my, in my car CD changer and it sat in there for three months straight. And it moved me in a way that all of that music from my earlier childhood didn't stir up what, static prevail stirred up yeah because there is all that um angst and emotion but also it it, it was like one minute it was angry guitars the next minute there's fucking violins right i yep. was like how do you do who does this and yeah and jimmy world obviously but you know at that point i had no idea who they were and what a lot of that music was yet and that was yeah. sort of static prevails in a lot of ways and probably sunny day real estate diary um, which mm-hmm. I owe to my friend Chris Papecki, who was is who's an incredible guitar player. Yeah, um, was in Cast Iron Hike, Doom Riders. Um, yeah, bands. <laughs> he was the first one that turned me on to Sunny Day Real Estate Diary, and that was sort of what kind of started pushing me in that direction. Hearing Diary, I was like, "What is this?" Mm-hmm. And yeah. then you know that just kind of started to open things up a little bit. But Static Prevails is probably was is probably the one that made me say to myself. 
I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to make music with my friends and it's yeah. going to sound something like this yes. because this stirs something up in me that I've never felt before. And I want to feel that feeling as often as possible. Oh, I, the same thing. I, you know, you and I discussed this like, but, and it's not news to listeners of the show, but hearing, hearing, uh, do you know who you are by Texas is the reason I had the same thing of going, I don't know when, cause when I heard it, I was in a hardcore band. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, you know, I'm like a senior in high school, junior, senior in high school. And I hear that album for the first time. And it just like obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. And oh, yeah. I knew at the time, I'm like, I don't know how, but I'm going to be in a band that sounds like Texas is the reason. And a couple of years later, yeah, <laughs> a couple of years later, I was in a band that was, try- you know, I mean, yeah. we always joke like the joke in uh for us was like yeah we're just trying to be texas is the reason but like and it was a joke but also it was like no like that was something to aspire to and the same way oh, like sure. i bought i bought jimmy world static prevails sight unseen like i someone mentioned to me dude you got to hear that i bought i went and bought that cd without prompting like a, a friend who i trusted uh, mentioned them to me. That was all I needed. And I was fucking blown away and, and knew like, Oh, this is my music. These are, this is my, these are my people. Oh my God. Hell yeah, dude. And think about that. Like, let's bring that to current day for a moment too. Yes. Like how back then you, you literally went, you, you, like, you took a serious chance. You couldn't buy a mm. single Right. I mean, every once in a while, there were CD singles from like Europe or the UK. Sure. In a, in a Newbury comics and import. But it, at that point, because it's an import, it costs 10, 11, 12 dollars for two songs. Right. But right. singles didn't exist. Streaming didn't exist. You couldn't preview something to find out if you maybe want to hear more. Right. Right. Um, right. You had to rely on people. And then you just took the leap of faith and you went and you paid 20 dollars for a cd yeah and maybe you just pissed twenty dollars away which back then was you know i mean still today twenty dollar bills a lot of money right but back then as a kid or as a teenager like you don't have a lot of money to throw around so right right make it it was all based on trust from other people and you start to develop you know develop that trust over time like if i want something new i know exactly who i need to go to yeah like hey so-and-so you know like what what did you what are the last three cds you just bought yeah cool i already own two of them that other one i'm gonna buy this afternoon absolutely 99 percent of the time it was amazing or it opened up you know my mind to another slightly different style of yeah of, you know the post-hardcore world yeah so i mean that was but it was all a leap of faith back then there was there was no way to preview it yeah i mean maybe if you were lucky and you, you know, you had some friends, they put the record on in the store. So you could mm-hmm. kind of like at least hear what it was about. Or to that point, you'd be shopping in a Newbury comics and someone would put a CD on and you'd be like, what is this? Yeah. You know, and then yeah. immediately a record is sold, right? Cause they just put it on in the store. And I think, and I know you mentioned this earlier, we talked about comps briefly, I think before we started recording. Yeah. Um, Cause you mentioned the in-flight um, comp, which was absolutely amazing, of course. Yeah. And I was able to discover a bunch of great bands on that. And again, obviously I know Texas is the reason was on there. Um, the antimatter comp oh. that speaking of Texas is the reason yeah, and, Norm. Norm and all that connection, right? <laughs> yeah. That I discovered, and I don't want this to be an ad for Newbury comics, but that I discovered in the way I just mentioned where I was mm-hmm. shopping in the store. And I think, I don't even think the comp was out yet. I think they had a promo 
they put it on and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I heard that quicksand song on there. Shovel. I was going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah. Holy (laughs) crap. I was just like, what? And I knew quicksand at that point. Yeah. So immediately, you know, Walter's voice. And I was like, what is this? How do I not know? How do I not know about this quicksand song? And so I like beelined it to the counter and was like, what is this? What is going on? And they like showed me the like promo CD. And then I think it was maybe two weeks later it was released. And I was there like on release day when the door opened at Newbury, I went inside. I think they only had maybe a handful of copies. Yeah. I bought it and I drove around all day listening to it, playing it for my friends. It just like that thing was man, man, that, that, that quicksand song, Shovel, and I told Norm this, uh, like, it, it's criminal to me that that isn't available everywhere. Like, mm-hmm. the comp itself is is a, is a masterpiece from our generation. Like, oh, what, yeah. a, what a comp. What, what, a, what an example of how great the music was coming from that era. But yep. to have this singular quicksand song that's not on anything else, and it's mm-hmm. just a fucking banger man like it sure oh, is god like that, that opening I, guitar riff like yes come on, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah it's yep. I, I still to this day I, I will i'll go to youtube just to, if i'm in the mood i'm like i need to i need to listen to shovel and i'm like oh man what a what a song it really um, is so so one thing that is interesting is orange island exists at a time that a band that i like you and i are are from the same generation and played you know, at least I know throughout the Midwest, I'm, you guys were in the same spots that we were. What you can read every review ever of every band, and you'll get. And I listen to Orange Island. I was a, and I think the one of the reasons we were drawn, you know, the guys in my band and myself, my friends were drawn to Orange Island is because you guys sound. It was like, oh no, this, these are these. They're like us. Like this, this, this is, there's an instant kinship of hearing that album when you know, like, oh, these are, these are my people. This is my generation making cool, urgent music. So you draw all of these comparisons and you're like, oh, I hear this, I hear that. Who are the real legitimate influences and inspirations that make up, like made Orange Island who you guys are? That's it, actually uh, one of the easier questions to answer because um, yeah. it's because it is so clear cut and obvious to me what they are. And I, I think anybody else, if you were asking any of the, of the other four guys yeah. s- specifically, you know, uh, the band kind of started as Chuck and Brendan, who are cousins and mm-hmm. drummer, lead guitar player. And then Chuck and I had uh, started to develop a really strong friendship um, in our mid to late teens. And I was kind of like the first person that the two of them were like, hey, if if we start a band, would you want to be involved in it? And I was yeah. like, yes. So it was the three of us kind of like the core from the beginning. And mm-hmm. that's not to, to, you know, knock anything about uh, Colin, our, our bass player, and and Joe, um, our, our second guitar player, um, who, who came on board for the last couple of years, yeah. were such integral parts in the band and, you know, played on recordings and, and did all those things. But at the core of it, it was really always sort of the three of us and um, Chuck and Brendan and I and kind of the idea of the band started with the three of us. And I think the influences are really what the three of us all 
just were blown away by and yes. again yes. kind of pushed us to this need to make music and yeah. this need to be in a band not to be cool not to get girls not to whatever it was it was it, there was no other option, right? It was, right. we have to do this. So um, what kind of pushed that for the three of us? I mean, we've already talked about quicksand. That is absolutely major, major, major influence. The album yeah. slip is to me an, a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, Manic compression is a great record. Shovel is a fucking banger of a song, but slip from start to finish is just a, uh, an absolute masterpiece like that to me is like a like an okay computer of of its time agreed um, just yeah. an album that I, I don't even know how to explain it and it appeals to everybody in all spectrums of that world right so that is like building block kind of number one i would say um there was a band that also came out of clinton massachusetts um who who certainly had a, a little more notoriety than than we did and they were a little bit older than us but we were still in each other's circles in a way um is this band cast iron hike yeah um yeah just amazing amazing so um, good (laughs) guys and and just what i think one of the greatest things about that band is even if they didn't grow up in the same town that we did and we had that you know that overlap and that kinship and that like small mill town world that you grow up in yep. and wanting to kind of break out of that. I mean, all of those things are there a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. But if we didn't grow up in the same town and they were in another state or across the country, I know we would have found that, that music and it mm. would have moved us in a way that would have been an influence for us just because I genuinely think, and I'm sure every songwriter band, right. Probably feels this way to some degree, but I feel like in that time, um, and again, this wasn't like a conscious thing to say, like, we don't want to sound like this or like that, or be like mm-hmm. these bands or those bands we want. We just were making the music that was coming out of us. Yeah. But I always feel like I know Casey back in the day sometimes had a hard time explaining, you know, well, they sound like this, this, and this. And it was yeah. like three bands that had really nothing to do with each other. Yeah. And, and I get that because, you know, back then that was kind of how you had to explain it to people. Well, yes. they sound like Texas is the reason with some quicksand and some uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and I think he just, he had a hard time kind of categorizing what we were creating and what we were writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it wasn't like we didn't set out to do that on purpose. It was just what came out of us. Right. Right. But Castor and hike major, major, major influence. Um, yeah. Um, the just loud, heavy rock and roll guitars, not, you know, not, we're not, uh, it's not a, a, a Fender Telecaster played, you know, it's not there. It is big, chunky, Les Pauls and Marshall stacks, yes. and, you know, JMC, <laughs> JCM 900s. And th- th- that was, that was the sound that vibrated with us in a way where we were like, fuck. Yes. yes. That's because it, back then it was like, we don't know a lot about equipment, right? So we're going to get a Les Paul and we're going to get a Marshall. And that's what we're going to do because yes. Chris fucking Papeki's guitar sounds better than any guitar in anyone's setup we've, we've ever heard before. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we kind of, in some ways, I think, started to kind of mimic some of what we did after what they did because they were jamming constantly in Clinton and we could show up and just hang out and watch them jam yeah. and like learn, learn from them writing songs or working songs out or just 
playing to get tighter as a band. So their live set was as good as it could be. Right. Yeah. And there was energy in that band. There was a, a sort a sort of like ferociousness to them, mm-hmm. even though they weren't a, a true hardcore band, no. but they were constantly playing with hardcore bands and they were on victory records. So they fit again, here's all that fringe world. Right. Right. Um, but that, that to me is, I guess, probably at the core of it, our biggest influence, yeah. um, not just musically also, but again, just being able to be there in that time with them, talk with them, be friendly with them, skateboard with them, pick yes. up tips here and there from them. I know Chuck early on definitely um, learned a lot from just watching Dave Green, the drummer of Cast Iron Hike, play and his style and the way he just had a, not only did he hit the the life out of his drums yes <laughs> the swagger right and and chuck yeah. is definitely a swag person and i i think that was he he certainly took a, a lot of that from him and for me as a singer watching jake brennan who was a singer right he would he would scream sometimes and he would strain his voice sometimes but he but he sang mm-hmm. hard rock songs and he yep. sang them the melody behind them and, yep. and that was really really amazing i think for us at that really, really sort of infant stage of Orange Island, seeing a band sort of doing what was just coming out of us anyways, and is what our band was initially or eventually going to sound like. I'm not saying it was going to sound like Castor and Hike, but just sort of that overall, like I was always going to sing. I was never going to be screaming, you know, on, yep. on, on vocals. It's just not my style and it wasn't yeah. what I would want to put out there. And if I were to try that, I'd be faking it. Yes. Um, you know, so that major, major influence. Um, the only other one that I would I would mention now, I mean, there's certainly several others, Hot Water Music, Jimmy World, Texas, The Reason, sure. all that stuff certainly was huge for us and, and I think shows up in bits and pieces here or there. Um, but to bring it back a little bit to Brian McTernan, um, who not only was a huge, 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 um, just just figure in Boston back in the, you know, late nineties and uh, early, early two thousands. Yeah. Because he showed up in Boston as a dude who sang for the band battery, who was just, <laughs> you did. know, like massive, like hardcore band. And he started singing for them. I think when he was still a teenager. Oh yeah. He was a kid. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like he was yeah. in fucking ashes when he was a preteen, like just like all this stuff. Right. And then I met him as just, a bro as just a dude in the music scene who is like really sweet and really cool to talk to. Oh, he's and, the best. And, and just, I was like, what a great guy. And then I started finding out these things that he had already done. And I'm like, what, how have you done all of this stuff? We're all just starting to like pick up, yeah. you know, to like get the ball rolling with instrument, with playing like for real and starting our band. And you've already lived a fucking like rock and roll life. And you're, yes. You're, you're like 22 years Dude, old. He, and then the, he starts recording every fucking amazing band, yes. not just in Boston, but I mean, he cave in and converge and, and piebald. But then who shows up one random weekend for like, just, Hey, Brian, you know, we've got this time we're rolling through Boston. You, can, we we want to throw some demos down. Texas is the reason. Yep. And that was that first, you know, those first three songs, that first yeah. EP. And, and I think Brian's told this story, um, you know, a a few times before on, on podcasts and stuff like that, but that recording is just like the original recording. Like, yeah, yeah. He told that on here. Yeah. played these songs. And then Rev was like, we need, we need to put it out. We need the masters. We're going to do this. And Brian was like, excuse me, you what? Oh yeah. But honestly, the beauty of that is, is twofold. It's Brian was just so 
supremely talented from Ooh. like from like day one. Yes. And he's yeah. also, of course, the most humble person around. So he, he would never, ever say that. So everyone else has to heap praise on him for him. But yeah. he just, everything he touched kind of turned to gold in a lot of ways. But it was through work ethic. It was through an, an ear for, for, you know, what the band was creating. And he just knew what they were trying to do mm-hmm. in some ways, a lot of times I think better than the band did. And yeah. he just, sometimes he knew I'm just going to press record and get out of the way. Sometimes he knew subtle, you know, push here or there. Sometimes it was a more forceful one, but he just has that knack so easily. Um, and so meeting him and then starting to like build a bit of a friendship with him in those early Boston days and the early days of orange Island starting out all of a sudden, Brian is like, yeah, so I've got this new band um, with some guys, you know, from from around Boston. Um, you know, they had already recorded demos just because Brian's, you know, got this studio starting to happen. And it's this band that, again, sadly, as we've talked about a little bit already, a band that hardly anybody's ever heard of, even more so than the Six Going On Sevens of yes. the world. yeah. The band Milltown. Oh, now, my God. How now, and how perfect is that for a band like fucking Orange Island coming from an old mill town? Yeah. And ran, you know, in small town, central Massachusetts, trying to, you know, find our sound and develop what, what it's going to be and, and songwriting and all these things. So we start seeing this band playing in Boston called Milltown with Brian playing like, you know, Brian playing guitar, this dude, Matt Squire playing second guitar, who was also in ashes with Brian and yeah. was a drummer and was like a music, just, just off the charts, like incredible musician. Yeah. Um, cause, cause he, he was going to college in Boston at the time and Brian and him were friends. They grew up in DC together. So that was easy. Right. Brian was like, Matt, you want to play in this band? And then what did they do? They went and they got the, like, I, <laughs> think the greatest singer in time and at that time in Boston, yes. Jonah from only living witness who another Unreal massive voice. influence of yeah. orange Island for sure. But Jonah, Matt, Brian, and then Jay and Rob, the, the rhythm section in Milltown to this day for me personally, that band is the pinnacle, mm-hmm. the songs they wrote, the ease with which they just, oozed out of them these like two and a half three minute long pop rock but still in a in like a dirty way with with jonah's like raw lyrics yeah raw or i should say raw vocals with these very intense um amazingly written lyrics yeah over these like just perfectly beautifully written two and a half three minute long rock and roll songs i just that band scratched the itch for orange Island oh. in a way that that few bands probably ever did or ever will i don't I, like and i've talked with brian about this that ep mm-hmm. is uh, like you hear a band you like you listen to that and you're like this this was a band just on the cusp of becoming <laughs> like and, you know, and because I know the story of, you know, what went down and, and it's just, you know, more proof of like how shitty record labels are, but especially oh, major so, labels. But... So unfortunate that they got caught God, in the wash. Damn that, that, the, the song I always reference, I think it, it's Osiris. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yep. His oh, dude, lyrics and his vocal melody on that. God, yep. man. Jonah was writing 
And it, 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 speak, you know, to, again, to I, I don't, I, I do, and I don't want to. I could talk about Milltown for six yeah. hours straight, yes. honestly. <laughs> but Jonah, as as a lyricist and as as a you know a wordsmith, but was yeah. a huge influence on Chuck and I for sure. I mean, I I'll never be able to write words the way that he, mm-hmm. you know, is able to, and also to take these really really deep you know, um, ideas that he's putting down on paper mm-hmm. and then to somehow so succinctly fit it into these two and a half, three minute, like, you know, yeah. pop rock songs was just, that was also, I think a pretty amazing thing, you know, yeah. to, to get his message across in, in a way that he was able to do in a somewhat, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus way, yeah. which is, is, you know, such a traditional way to write a song. But if you're as good as they were at doing that, there's yeah. really no need to do much else, right? No, why would you? And yeah. what's what's funny too about that band? Did you ever hear the Cure cover that they did? No. Um, so they did a cover of "Jumping Someone Else's Train." Okay, um, that's not which on at that the time, EP, right? I can't remember it was on the EP. That might have been on a split seven inch. Okay, I, I'm gonna pull um, a main camp while you're telling seven that story. Inch, I can't remember who they did it with. It might have been Pineball. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but they did a Cure cover, and at the time I didn't actually. I was a Cure fan, but I wasn't because it wasn't um, one of their more popular songs. I didn't even realize at the time that it actually was a cover. Yeah, and it's funny to me now because no, when I think about when I think about trying to explain Milltown to someone or categorize mm. them as a, yeah. as what they were, in a lot of ways, I feel like they were the rock, the indie rock Cure. Yes, you know, yeah. at that time, in terms yeah. of what they were writing. Delicate Fiction was the song, not Osiris. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Delicate yeah, yeah. Fiction, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. He mentions Osiris in that. Yes, 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 and, yes. And, and to your point, like, they had, there was a melancholy to the music mm. that would, like, could easily reference The Cure or, you know, just anything of that ilk, uh, but still had the foundational heaviness that comes yes. from, people that have a background in hardcore and punk and, and and it became this, like, I I can't say, I mean, like you said, like we could sit and and gush over, (laughs) over the greatness of Milltown for hours, but it does lead me to, I I have to ask this because from vocalist to vocalist, Mm -hmm. what was it that you like were drawn to in a vocalist? Like, I, I think, I think there's a lot of times where there's so many bands, especially from, from this world where it's the sing, singer guitar player. There's very few times where you run into just the vocalist. And mm. typically when you do, they're a very, like, there's something very profound about what they do. And two people I think of are John Bunch from Sensefield. Mm. Oh my God. Jason Bebout from, from, from Sam. From I am. Sam. Yep. Because you got two vocalists who are, are vocalists and they have distinct powerful voices mm-hmm. that that resonated for years and years to come and that was the standout thing about them so as somebody that's a vocalist what is it that you are drawn to in somebody like what what is the type of vocalist that is it is it vocal character like i have a bunch of chaotic things that i'm drawn to but i'm always curious like what is what draws you in that you're like, fuck, that's amazing. I think that's an incredible question, honestly. Um, and it's got my head going in all these different (laughs) ways. 
The first thing I guess I would say is, um, so in, when the band started out, we were just a four piece. So I was playing rhythm guitar and singing. Yeah. And at the time I certainly didn't feel confident in either right. avenue. Um, so it was hard. It, it was hard in a lot of ways for me because I was trying to be as proficient as possible with my mm-hmm. playing. So the songs were sounding good, but I definitely, I think in the early year or, or like first year or so of Orange Island, um, in our, our first, um, probably year of playing shows, I was much more concerned with playing the song than I was with singing the song. Right. Right. I thought of myself as the second guitar player who just happens to have the mic in front of him. Yep. Then yep. the singer of the band rather um, than the front man. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And, and I, and then when I really tried to start to focus more on the vocal side of it, um, not only because I just wanted to become a better singer and hopefully that would then in turn make us a better band. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely felt, um, I felt a lot of insecurity for sure. Um, not having the confidence in either Avenue. So I, I always felt like, Oh, okay. I need to, I need to focus on the guitar right now. So if I sing or don't sing or like maybe miss some words, who cares? Right. Cause yep. nobody knows our music and the yep. PA sucks anyways. And can they even hear me? Does it even mm-hmm. matter? Um, so I think in those early days, I just didn't put a lot of focus on it because I didn't really felt like it need, like I needed to focus on it, I guess. Right. And then when I started to really focus on it, um, I mean, I'll be honest, that is definitely where my major insecurity in our band really started to kind of come out for me. Okay. Um, just, just, uh, I was watching Chuck become a better drummer constantly. I was watching Brendan continue to just become this incredible guitar player who was just being, he, he would show up to practice. We would, back then we would probably jam I don't know, anywhere from three to five days a week, you know, depending on life and mm-hmm. schedules and whatnot. But obviously you have a lot more free time when you're in your teens and early yeah. 20s. <laughs> um, but he would like show up to practice and be like, oh, I wrote a couple things the other night and demoed him. At, um, he had a neighbor, um, this dude Roshan, and in um, his basement, his dad had this like crazy recording, like home recording studio. Yeah. So, Brennan would go over and sneak in and Roche would record a quick demo for him. He's like, oh, I just got this idea. I'm just going to throw it down. And he'd show up and, and, and be like, uh, so I just I wrote this riff the other day. Like, I don't know if it's any good. And he'd play it. And Chuck and I would be like, the fuck, dude? Like, what is going on? <laughs> so like, this was sort of like the day to day. And I'm watching these two just like kind of skyrocket at their yeah. one singular thing. Yeah. And I was there the whole time being like, this way that way this isn't good enough yet that's not good enough yet right, like where right. where to go and i always felt kind of stuck in the middle and in, in not focusing a lot on one or the other um, yeah and also my place in the band back then too on top of the music part of it was also in a lot of ways sort of de facto band manager Okay. Um, I kind of took on a lot of you know booking shows um making the contacts you know mm-hmm. going just I mean, I was going to shows all the time anyways, but I was going to extra shows, sometimes multiple shows a night yeah. to meet people, to talk to people, to, you know, to, to network, to do all that stuff. Whereas the rest of my band, I'm not saying they didn't want to do it, but they, I don't know that they wanted to do that aspect. And, and I did. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so anyways, all of this is to kind of say my focus was not just solely on being the vocalist or being the singer yeah. for a while yeah. uh, in the band. And it was, it wasn't until really um, we started working with Matt Squire as yep. our producer. Um, we had been working with Mike Porman, who's, who's one of our collective best friends as a band. Uh, Mike at the time was playing drums for hot rod circuit um, he also played in this great Boston band before that called the Shyness Clinic. But Mike was not only a great friend, but he was the first person to actually, uh, he he went to school at Emerson in Boston and then he worked at Emerson for a while after that. And he would bank some studio hours working there yeah. um, as an engineer. And he would bring us in on the weekends at Emerson and give us free studio time so we could start oh, working wow. on demos. So Mike was the first one who really kind of like, gave us an opportunity to just put stuff down. Yeah. Um, he certainly helped me and advised me in any way that he could um, with my singing and trying to build up my confidence probably more than anything. Yeah. Um, but then when we started working with Matt and this ties back to Milltown too, we had seen Milltown play a show. We were getting ready to record our first full length for Casey on iodine. Uh, everything you thought you knew. Yeah. And I think it was like, we were going to start recording maybe three days after the show. I watched Milltown play a show, Matt, after the show, I went up to Matt and I just said, Hey man, we're going to be in the studio in a few days. Do you want to come by, check right. it out, hang out? Like that was literally how it started. He showed up and came out and checked it out and ended up producing pretty much the rest of the music we made. And in a lot of ways, certainly became the, the, the sixth member of Orange Island, or if gotcha. you want to say, yep. you know, between Chuck and Brendan and I sort of the fourth studio member of yep. writing member of Orange Island, he helped us in so many ways, um, songwriting and all these things. But for me personally, as a vocalist, that was for me in a lot of ways where I finally started to gain some confidence, but also was learning from Matt and then, Matt also had um, resources for me to go and learn from some other mm -hmm. vocalists and some, from some actual um, like vocal teachers. Uh, I actually was lucky enough to go to um, New York city. I spent like four days in New York city with this crazy vocal instructor and his name escapes me right now, but he literally his vocal instruction room is floor to ceiling photos like headshots of all the people he's worked with wow. dude prince fucking you know like madonna um shock Khan, but also like you know like uh, like rock singers too like i mean yeah it was, i mean it was intimidating yeah but the most beautiful piece of it was i walk into this you know first of all i'm like I'm like, wait a minute, why is the label paying whatever this guy's hourly rate is for me to get some vocal lessons in the first place? But thank goodness that this yeah. is happening. Um, second of all, I walk into this room and I'm like, intimidating much, you know? Right, like the right. It's like just trying to like gain some confidence. And then I walk in this room and I look around at the photos around me and I'm like, oh, hey, Justin Timberlake. Oh, hey, Shaka Khan. Oh, right. Hey, like, Oh yeah. How do you <laughs> gain is, confidence? Nothing, yeah, nothing to worry about here. But <laughs> then this this the instructor walks in the room and and he we meet, uh, we talk for a few minutes and he says to me, he goes, "Look, don't be intimidated. I'm not going to teach you to be a classically trained singer. You sing for a rock band. I'm going to help you and I'm going to teach you some tricks and some trick, you know, I'm going to teach you the tools that you need to be 
the best rock singer you can be right. and to gain confidence in your ability. And then I'm basically, he was like, I'm going to unlock in you what's all fucking locked up in there. And he pr- just said it to me directly. Like, I'm going to do this over the next few days. And I just, he said it so directly and so believably that yeah. I just was like, I bought in immediately. Yeah. And I also, you know, there was also the part of me that was like, I know good money is being paid for this. I know this is an opportunity that I'll probably never get again. Um, or, you know, who knows? So right. Right. I, I was trying to take it seriously, but, but sure. that, um, the, the self doubt and the, and the, and the, you know, lack of confidence was, was certainly there, but I yeah. just sort of buried it. And I, I, I listened to him. I took his instruction and it, dude, it changed everything for me. And I'm when sure. what he said was exactly what he did. He taught me only what I needed to know to do what I was trying to do, but do it 10,000 times better with so much less effort and strain. I'm also, as an aside, just, I'm a lifelong asthmatic. So okay. breath in your lungs for me is harder than a lot of other people. Right. Um, so he taught me, you know, all kinds of exercises and ways to expand my diaphragm, yada, yada, yada. I know this is kind of boring stuff, but no, no, but, I, I mean, I can talk about other vocal uh, uh, people that were influences on me, but this whole process that I just sort of talked through with you yeah. to me ultimately was what allowed me to become a confident singer in my abilities and my capabilities. Yeah. And then, so I remember getting back from New York and getting back in the studio and finishing up this was during the self-titled recording so this is for this album that is now we're now re-releasing as one night stay yeah um and and here's the thing too right because we had time in the studio and because we were able to take our time things were just starting things were sounding great like yeah we were all getting super excited you know drums were done we were work you know bass was done we were working on guitars things were starting to sound unreal and i had scratch vocal tracks on everything at this point nothing that we were going to keep but it was all there yeah and every once in a while you you know those vocals are down and you slide them up and it i just remember thinking to myself pre going to these to these sessions like oh man i'm these these guys are now on another level and i'm not there yet right i gotta fucking get there yeah this album has the potential to be what we want it to be finally right now I have to fucking step up and that opportunity really allowed me to do that. Um, definitely gained a lot of confidence, gained all those tools. And I just went, uh, also really great thing about it is I spent those three or four days in New York and then I went straight to the fucking studio and got right in the vocal booth. Right. So there was no time to like overthink it or like, you know, worry and like, Oh man, all this shit I learned. I now I'm not freaking out about it and overthinking it. No. I went right into it and just started using those tools and it started to open things up and unlock things. And I just remember being in the vocal booth and like, you know, doing a take, maybe doing another take. And then like the guys in the control room are listening to the playback and I would just like look at their reactions Mm -hmm. and see them react in ways I never saw them react before. Yeah. You know, draw, you know, put down a vocal take. And I was like, okay, cool. They hear it too. And that was like the last thing I needed for me to, to really kind of push it over that, that level of like, all right, I believe in it, which obviously is, a, is what you need to start with. Yeah. But now my, my dudes that I'm making this art with 
believe it too and they hear it and i was like fuck yeah like i i love that we're on to something. <laughs> that's the best answer because like it's so easy for us to start like we know the singers that inspired us for sure. but like really this is what inspired you was i you this that vocal training those four days of vocal training took your self-confidence to a completely different place you can't have, you can't ask for something more inspirational than that. No, agreed. Agreed. And I feel that was why when you asked the question in my head, I'm like, I mean, I can talk about the people that yeah, I like sure, emulate sure. and the people that, that moved me in that a way. And I know we've sure. already talked about a lot of those bands too. I mean, yeah. Josh, Jonah, both Jonah's only is Jonah. Oh yeah. And, yes. You know, yeah. just like, I could again go on for days. I mean, Chris Conley for me early on, both versions of him, the early saves the day stuff. But when he talking about confidence, when when in Reverie came out and there was all that backlash because yeah. of the way he was singing on it, I was like, no, he's singing. This is fucking cool, man. He's like, singing, yeah. He is he is taking his craft to another level. Yeah. And I just was like, I saw that and was like. I mean, I was a huge Saves the Day fan anyways, and, and I was friendly with a lot of those guys back then. Um, but just just that aspect of it, I, I just remember, like, you know, I mean, obviously there was backlash for a bunch of reason, reasons with that record, which still to this day I think is one of the greatest records to come out of that time. But but I was like, no, this is, this, this is him realizing what I'm doing is not sustainable. There's a better way to do it, not just for my art, but there's a better way to do it for me and my yeah. body and my ability yes. to to sing and to replicate it night after night on tour, right? Because that's an aspect that oh. I didn't bring up yet either. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's one thing to do all this stuff in the studio and to have the time and to have the takes and to have the second chance and the 20th chance. But when you're, you know, five nights or six nights in a row on the road and you're on that fifth or sixth night and you're straining your voice, I mean, that sometimes there's just nothing there. Yeah, you know, and nothing comes out, and now you can't talk for four or five days. And what do you right. do? Cancel the show when you're a DIY band on tour? I mean, it's not realistic. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's really truly the best answer I can give. Yeah, no, and it 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 is it's a perfect answer because we have a tendency in these realms and in these spaces to be so bogged down with the the things that inspired us to get us there that we forget about the fact that our tools are ones and Absolutely. for a vocalist your tool is here and and you have to the maintenance of that tool is is a really tricky thing and it can be what works for one person may not work for the other person and for sure. so like there's there's no finite way of doing that and it, there when you have when you have all of that influence, like, cause you're like me, I listen to a ton of different shit. So like, I, you know, I, I can, in one sitting, I can listen to a quicksand record. I can listen to a strife record. I can listen to Olivia Rodrigo and I can listen to thin <laughs> oh, yeah. Lizzy. And I don't yep. think twice oh, about it. Fucking thin Lizzy, please. I have a, Sorry. I have a, you'll get this. You will get this because that, it, it makes sense to, people in this world thin lizzie the cars and cheap trick are three bands mm. from our dad's era that are the punkest fucking bands on the planet oh dude all day all day cheap trick is there another one that does not get enough mm. of their due especially yep. on to your point on our generation and yes. on a lot of the songwriters our age yes i mean 
whether you even were aware of it or not, there's influence from Cheap Trick in there. All, all three, long. all three of those bands were forging their own path, mm-hmm. and didn't they didn't look like every other band? They didn't sound like every other band, and they did not right. give a fuck about that. Yep. And that is the same mentality that Fugazi has. Exactly. <laughs> so, like if you can't look at the two and see see, there's a, there's some equal ground there. But um, oh yeah, dude. One one thing because we've like I could clearly tell you're one of these people I could sit and talk to for an entire day. <laughs> or, or if only or, if only that time <laughs> if only. was there right yes with with orange island because you existed at the same time that a band i was in existed and mm-hmm. i i swear to god we either played together somewhere in the midwest or we were supposed to and i cannot pete there's a lot of black holes in there oh yeah tell me about <laughs> it tell me um, about it it's funny i will say like it, it, diving into I, I wasn't a huge podcast listener myself really yeah. until the pand- pandemic started and i at first was a little leery about going down the this music scene sort of rabbit hole of podcasts yeah, yeah. but i mean it did i did start to dip my toe in the waters and then all of a sudden i was like oh not only is this fun and cool to revisit all this stuff because a lot of it is a time I was existing in yeah. and Orange Island was existing in, yeah. but also it did bring back some memories that yes. I had just completely lost that I'm yeah. like, Oh my God, yeah. I was there at that show that this per- that they're talking about right now. Or yeah. I remember, you know, this thing or that, like just the, it, it really has brought me back to a time that I care about so much and so fondly. Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's kind of unlocked a lot of that stuff, but, but yeah, no, to your point, it, it, thinking about, um, the, sh- the amount of shows and, <laughs> and let's say the five years or five years plus that Orange Island was a band and yeah. playing shows that we actually played versus the shows we were supposed to play. Yeah. I mean, there's a decent gap in there. Yeah. And yeah. some of that is shows that we wanted to happen and other bands wanted to happen and we couldn't find a venue or the venue shut down after the oh, show was scheduled yeah, yeah. or, you know, the tour was booked for five weeks and we ended up only playing three weeks of it because <laughs> our van broke down and we didn't have the money to repair it or the yes. shows just didn't exist anymore. And, yep. Yep. you know, because again, back then, obviously you had booking agents, but a lot of those booking agents were just like all of us, just kind of starting oh, for out. For sure, for sure. And yeah. we're living in a world where you're calling, you know, rotary phones or an- leaving voicemails on answering machines and and at a bar. Know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're sending you're sending emails and you're following up with calls, but like, there's no text, there's no direct communication, no. there's no you know like direct line to this. It, it, everything was a crapshoot. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. we thought we had a show. We had talked to someone at the venue, and then we we go to load in at a show, and the actual promoter of the venue is like. That's A, you did not talk to the promoter. B, there's no show tonight. And C, I don't know. You can play if you want, but I'm not paying you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, man, so, yeah. Is... So, honestly, I, because I, I, you know, I know when, when you and I first, um, um, you know, emailed about doing this podcast, I was like, man, I, I, I don't remember if we ever played together or not. I, but again, I, it's like, because I, I said our name, I guarantee and you're like, we I knew the were name. booked on a show <laughs> together, and I guarantee a flyer was made. But did it happen? I don't, I don't remember. remember. I don't remember. I don't yeah, and that, that's 
the most indicative. I hope it did, but I, I also, also kind of hope it didn't because I I wish I wish I would have remembered if it did. <laughs> it's that it, it's great because it's almost like that Ozzy and Joe Walsh story where they were at that some event for the Rock Hall and. Apparently, Joe Walsh was standing there looking at this poster, and it was James Gang and Sabbath on the same bill. And Ozzy, they're both talking, and they're looking at it, and they're joking. And there's a slight pause, and Joe Walsh said he looked at Ozzy and goes, do you remember that? And Ozzy goes, not a fucking clue, man. No way. <laughs> there's no way they remember that shit. Yeah, seriously. Um, the The funny thing about that era is we were – and I, I, if 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 you didn't experience this, feel free to say so. But you're playing with, and because Orange Island did the same thing we did, you're playing with these bands that are like you look at as like holy fuck, like this oh, is. Yeah. But they're playing the same place you are, right? <laughs> and I think, oh, dude, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, no, yeah. for real. And that, and, and it's something that I actually was thinking about earlier, and because I go off on tangents, I kind of yeah. lost the thread to wanting to get to this point. Um, but one of the most amazing things, and this goes to what you were just saying now, is when I first started going to shows before Orange Island even started, yeah. um, but then certainly into our early, early days of being a band, was going to shows where I could see on the same bill, Cast Iron Hike, um, Strife, Texas yep. is the reason, um, Still Suit, and Quicksand was the headliner. Yep. Or I could see um, Hot Water Music and Highballed and Converge and Jay June all at a show at the Space in Worcester, which was this amazing yep. art collective group of people who put on all DIY. Oh, yeah. Just the most beautiful shows in little, you know, central mass Worcester, Massachusetts. I saw Jimmy world in that room. I saw, yep. you know, I mean, hot water music countless times in a room with, you know, 300 other people. And it's yes. like, you know, it's just wild. Like that those bills existed and it wasn't like a, a random one-off like, Oh, that's weird that this punk band is playing with this hardcore band is playing with this ska band is playing yep. with this like indie rock yes. band. That was just what, Everyone did. Absolutely. Because there was camaraderie, because there was no like one noteness of that time. Right. Everyone right. was making the art they wanted to make. They didn't fucking care about the rules or the guidelines. And that that's what created, I think, uh, um, the ability for other bands up and coming or bands that would then start to go. Yeah. Well, if all these bands aren't playing by the fucking rules, why do we have to play by any rules? Who? Yeah. Where, what are the rules anyways? You know? And to that point, we went from that where it was like a ska band uh, and uh, an indie rock emo band, a hardcore band, like all of that on one bill to we go through this era where it's like four of the same fucking type of band Mm -hmm. on every bill. And we come out of that one 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 note across the board. We come out of that. And I think we've come full circle Mm. where the bills now, the mixed bills, are just sort of expected like, and it's an exciting time. Like I didn't play in, I'm in, in November in Boston. I'm seeing, I'm seeing turnstile headline with snail mail as the opener and JPEG mafia. Exactly. Yes, dude. Yep. Yeah. I can't can't fucking, I don't want to, you know, fast forward summer right now, but I can't wait for that. Oh yeah. Yeah. But to your point, like I didn't know that, 
it would ever come back to something no, like that. No. But it, it it is happening, and I think it's the most beautiful thing that could happen. Oh, I love it. I like it, it's fun. My son and some of his friends are going to going to I think one in turn a turnstile show in Columbus, and it's the same tour snail mail JPEG mafia. And yeah. what's great is they all like all of it. Like that is, that's so fucking cool. Right? Like you must be so stoked as, as dad, like that's going to be Oh my God, dude. Oh my God. Like taking him to shows, like taking my 15 year old to a Bob mold show and a quicksand show, but then also being able to take him to see like going to a turnstile show, which is his shit. You know, we're going to see praise in September together. Uh, in August, we're going to see death bells. That's a band he loves. Like, Like being able to like, to see that that generation has kind of taken, like they took that part of our generation and Mm. revived it in a very cool way, in a very Mm -hmm. like cool and progressive, because at the time I feel like we didn't realize that what we were doing was like creating inclusive spaces for like right. all these different types of bands represent different types of people and different types of scenes. And you bring them all together and you, you meld them together. And it's this really cool, fascinating thing. And right. when you just have like four of the same type of punk rock band on one bill, it's all this, it's such the, the fans are just like, it, it's incestuous coming out on the other side of this where turnstile who are like, I see them as this generation's green day in the sense that like, mm. they're going to bust a whole other thing open. Yeah. And well, I think they uh, already have, honestly, I think so right? too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to take and, and out to your, to, your, what, to the point you were just making too, like, cause I think it's a huge one and I, I don't want to lose this is, yeah. is the inclusion piece, right? Yes. Because yes. you just spoke about a safe space and a, and a safe scene that we grew up in. And yeah, and obviously no, I mean, nothing's a hundred percent. Right. But no, the scared, the most scared I ever felt at a show back in you know my late teens and early twenties was just that the pit that I chose to go into, <laughs> then I might get violent. smacked in the face. Yes, and you yeah. know what? Then I got smacked in the face and was like, oh, I don't really care. This Not is a big fun. Yep. You know, oh, I'm going to stage dive, and they might catch me, and I might fall, and probably both are going to happen, and it's all yeah. right. Oh yeah. Um, you know that that, but I but I did feel safe. All, all basically all the time. No question. And not just did I feel safe to enjoy art and music and community together, but also knew because I was in a safe space that whoever was next to me, whoever I bumped into, whoever I was waiting to buy merch in front of or behind or next to is yeah. probably someone that I should just start talking to because yes. if I don't already know them, they're probably going to be my next fucking best friend, right? Because no doubt. Yep. We're all in this safe space together because we all have created it together and we all want to be there together. And then for me anyways, over the last 20 years, I've seen obviously the world become so divided and so separated yes. and not that we need to go down, you know, that road, but like to see, you know, uh, music and, and art and community and, and the world we're talking about yeah, st- to still have a safe space for people and, and to continue to um, create that and to, and to allow that to be mm-hmm. is so crucial and so important. It was 25 years ago. Yeah, for sure. But now, so now more so than ever, I think, because oh, yeah. Of yeah. what is going around on around us, you know, day in and day out. 
Absolutely. And if you consider, too, how like we look at this as the, arguably the most divisive time in history, what mm-hmm. makes it more so? Because it's always been divisive like this. We've had right. these racial divides, these these divides within class, within mm-hmm. within every aspect of society. We have these stables that we've been fighting to knock the walls down on forever. But now we have access to unlimited information. And that is that makes it so much fucking worse because mm-hmm. you have. You have the ability now to like fall into the wrong type of hive mind. And, and that's, that's where we're at. So to like, to circle back to what we're discussing, like I took my son and his buddy to see teenage wrist, soft cult and soul blind who are newer bands and standing in that crowd and seeing like, nobody's fucking with each other. Mm-hmm. Everybody's having a good time. There's different, they're all cut from a little bit of a different cloth, but there was this harmony in it where you can look at it and it's the same vibe from a turnstile show. As chaotic as it is, there's a harmony that these kids have figured out how to create, taking some of the inspiration and influence from our generation and saying, okay, so you can build these scenes with all of this diversity in the music and the types of people and the types of causes that come in, but then you can all coexist together in mm-hmm. for an evening where you get four bands that are distinct and unique with distinct and unique fan bases. But we all come together because we love this community and we want to build it together. Right. And uh, man, I think they, I think they've taken something great and made it even better. And Dude, it's, it's, that's what, a, I mean, that's what a beautiful way to put it. It's, it's so true. It really is. And, and good for them too. And, yes. and yeah. there's obviously other bands that are, that are doing this, but turnstile just at the moment has such a spotlight and, yes. and, and an ability and, yeah. and again, good on them for fucking taking the power they have right now and yeah. doing good with it. And yes. and I'm sure there's probably people somewhere at a label or in a manager's office saying, no, 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 you, you can't take that band and that band with yeah. you. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yep. You need bands that sound exactly like you. Right. Cause yep. that's how we package things. And they're, I'm sure just like, you know what? No, we're going to do what we want and we know we can. Yeah. And I do believe that they're probably also the same kind of people that would, have this mentality, whether they have the spotlight or not. Right. But yeah. The fact that they're, they're using what they've got for, for good and, and making things more inclusive and opening up other types of music and other types yes. of, of, of the scene and, and other kinds of art that's being made to be experienced by people at their shows. That's, that's such, such a great thing. Cause I always, in a lot of ways, I feel like that those very, those crazy, varied bills was so unique to the nineties um, in a lot of ways that I I feel like, I don't know. I was like, uh, it's kind of sad, right. That kids today aren't going to, or, you know, what kids, young adults aren't going to get to experience that, but it's always going to be like, Oh yeah, I know so-and-so and so-and-so already on this, on this show because I already listened to them because they sound exactly like the, the the headliner. And so of course I already know them. So they're just staying sort of stuck in that same. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Rather than having something, uh, an opening band or a mid band, you know, um, one of the, the openers just walk out on stage and melt their faces off. And, and you, you go home and you're like, holy shit, I never knew I'd be into something like that. Or I, you just moved by something that you never would seek out on your own. And right. now all of a sudden that it unlocks something or opens up a, a whole nother, you know, aspect of, of music for you. So. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that's, that's an amazing thing that it's happening. It, it's a beautiful fucking time for it. It really is. 
and and to bring that back to you know your initial question too like being these 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 bands that were you know smaller working our asses off yeah writing yeah. good music <laughs> trying fucking our hardest having our peers who were having more success and gaining more traction yeah. supporting us and lifting us up yes. whether that was you know again to go back to a way i used to discover bands all the time and, you know, when I first started really getting deep into music was through thank you lists on, C- yeah. on our, yes, on, you know, yes, for bands. Yes. Like, <laughs> and that is something that is so missed with a physical release with streaming being the thing right. these days Right? is I would dude, and <laughs> I basically had a job since I was six years old. I had a paper route when I was in second grade yeah. and I would take my end of the week paper route money. And at, at that time, luckily in my small little town, we had a small music shop called city hall music. Okay. I would go down there after Friday payday with my little bit of profit and I would buy a cassette tape at this time. Cause CDs, I don't even think we're or just kind of starting. Maybe yeah. I would take that cassette home. I would sit in my bedroom. I would open it up. I would take the artwork out. I'd put the cassette in side a on my little boom box, hit play. And yep. then I would, I would read every lyric, every liner note, yes. who produced it, who mastered it. I didn't even know what the fuck mastering was. Nope. nope. I didn't know what an AR rep was. I was like, I want to be an AR, A&R rep someday. Right. It's cool. You're right. involved with music and someone's thanking you on a, you know, that, but I would get to those thank you lists and I'd be like, oh, oh, I've never heard of this so, band. Ooh, I've never so, heard of that band. Ooh, so valuable. I love those bands. So I need to immediately check out these other bands. Yes. And I yes. did that for years. Oh God. Yeah. Incredible bands by doing that. I still feel like I, I still feel like there's a compulsion to do that for me. Or oh, like, absolutely. I'll take a record absolutely. out. And I'm like, no, they don't do this anymore. But like, that's my brain <laughs> is triggered to that. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh, forever, forever. It'll be that way. Absolutely. Oh yeah. But, but I mean, to have that again, to, to have your, your peers who are surpassing you in popularity. Yes. But, to the whole scene ethics and, and, and what it was about Mo I'm not saying some bands, cause I'm sure there were some bands that were too cool for school and like, Oh yeah, oh, sure. We used to know sure. you guys, but we yeah, don't yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's always going to be some aspect of that. But yeah. That was not the norm. That was the exception back then. Yeah. Um, the norm was we're, Oh, well, we're playing in front of 2000 people. Now we're going to wear your fucking merch. Right. We're, <laughs> we're going to actually shout you out. Like, yeah. Hey, you know, maybe it's a, a band, you know, you made friends with from five States over and they're coming through, you know, for us through Boston yep. or through yep. Worcester. Yep. And yep. maybe they're not wearing their orange Island shirt, but you better believe in between songs. They're going to be like, Hey, you Oh yeah. Any, like, yo, you got to check out orange Island, go to their show, listen to their music. Yes. No one ever asked for that. Nope. No, nope, did it. Nope. Bands you, did it for each other. Do it to support each, each other. other up. Yeah. And also yes. because you wanted the people in the crowd that liked good music to hear other good music and to expand we, their horizons. We're all going to hear that and go find that band. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that hey. was such a, I'll never forget those moments of like, no, can't no. believe, can't believe they're wearing my, our shirt and they're playing in front of like, 2000 people that's right. so cool even if right. two people are like oh i'm intrigued by what that shirt is i should probably dig into it two people who weren't before hey i i, I need to pause this real quick yeah, yeah. stand by i gotta oh, you get got some it. yeah so so to kind of tie all this back in to wrap it up <laughs> um good luck <laughs> yeah, I, you and I instantly started firing on all cylinders there. <laughs> That's um, a good thing, though. Those yes. are the best podcasts. Oh, absolutely. Anyways. Yes. So I want you to make sure, let everybody know about uh, the reissue of this record, where they can pre-order it, 
how they can stay up to date with things going on with Orange Island in the future. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. So the uh, fingers crossed. And I, from what I've heard, there's no delays. Um, the actual physical release date of one night stay will be September 30th. Um, we've already had two singles drop on Spotify, uh, the remastered yeah. ones. Yep. Um, I, well, I shouldn't say just Spotify. I guess it's, that's like saying Google now, right? It's yeah, just kind of, of yeah. words, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. or fortunately, I don't know, whatever. I'm not trying to, uh, worlds don't hate me. Nobody listens. Spotify <laughs> people don't come in and take me out of my room at night. Yeah. Uh, um, it's, uh, yeah. So streaming services for sure. Um, it, in a real quick aside, we didn't have much on streaming previously to this. So to, that was also a really great, yeah, kind of offshoot of this this remaster and this and this re-release of the album is is Casey did put a lot of time and effort into you know uh, bulking up our streaming and what's yep. available out there and stuff like that. So so now being able to go out there and and not only have good high quality recording to be able to listen to through streaming, but to have some visuals to it and then right. us as a band, we've been work, you know working on um, new artwork for merchandise. Um, I know right now through um, uh, the Death Wish store or through Iodine, yep. there there already is some new Orange Island merch, and you yep. can definitely pre-order the vinyl through there. We've got some super cool um, color variants, which I'm excited about. Yeah, um, the Coke bottle Coke bottle color is like one of my favorite favorite vinyl colors. Yes, so I was really <laughs> really really I, that was like the one thing I was adamant about. I was like, all right, if we're gonna do colored vinyl, there has to be Coke bottle in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so pre-order through iodine, through death wish. Um, I mean, they're selling better than I thought they were going to, honestly, I felt like it was going to be, you know, uh, the band and our family and our friends and (laughs) maybe a few stragglers here that remember us from 20 plus years ago, but, um, it's, it's moving, but you know, it would be great to sell it out. Um, and you know, maybe if it sells out there, there, there could be another re-release down the road of a, of another album possibly that came after this one so very um, cool you know, not trying to get too too far down the road on that but that wouldn't suck either to, to, no, to have um <laughs> to have the morning after also on vinyl but that's not what this is about but um yeah. Yeah. but yeah so so september 30th is the official street date um i believe hopefully vinyl will be shipping either slightly before then or on the 30th right um, we right. do have two more singles that are going to drop uh through streaming i know the next one is um um, a week next week. So a week okay. from today. Okay. Um, oddly enough, actually on my birthday, which I was like, okay, oh, cool, fun. let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then we have one more that's going to drop in September. Um, I think two weeks before the record comes out. So um, very exciting. Yeah, dude. It's, it's weird to be, it's just weird to be like, yeah, we're just releasing some singles from, from an album. Yeah. But it's still it's like just, it, it's still an it's still an album that everybody wants to hear. So like, well, that's very kind of you to say. And I and I mean, I I, I just so you know not not to kind of go back and reiterate what I already said in the beginning, but it's just it's really really exciting, and just man, it just feels good. Yeah, to have this album be what we always envisioned it to be, and what we because the thing is, is right it it was just remastered. Nothing was re-recorded. Right. No, no overdub no. was done, even no. though that would be super simple in today's sure. day and age. Um, and, and to be, well, to be fair also, like the, all those songs were recorded to tape, you know, back then too. Oh, um, yeah. I know the tape, right. 
I mean, there was definitely some digital stuff happening for oh, us yeah. in, in, yeah, in yeah. that time too, but um, we were always recording to tape. Brian and Matt were were big about that, you know, for yeah. the, the sound and the warmness, especially for a rock band, you know, so on and so forth. But um, yeah, just, just to know that all those performances were there and, and the sequencing that we always wanted was there to be done. Yep. It just didn't work out that way in the time. Cause, cause we, we listened to the people, you know, above us that were making suggestions and, of and course, we yeah. trusting, trusting in them. I don't want that to come off to sound contentious mm-hmm. or it was this battle. Um, you know, we definitely pushed back when it, that initially was asked and right. we went back and forth and we ultimately said, you know, if it's going to, better record sales and allow us to do more and allow more people to hear our music. So be it. It's not a battle that we're going to draw a line in the sand and say, it can't be this way. Yeah. But here we are all these years later and man, it feels really, really good to hear it the way it was supposed to be heard to know people are going to be able to hear it that way. And I hope fans of the album, you know, previous fans of the album will hear it in the sequencing and hear these, the remastered version and be like, fuck, man, I thought that record was cool before, but damn, because honestly, that's how I feel. And I just yeah. hope that anybody who cared about it before will will be as blown away as we, the band and, and Casey are with with, you know, what we've done with it and what, what other people have helped us do that, you know, through the artwork and through the remastering. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can't think of a better way to to pitch the idea of picking this record up on vinyl i am personally stoked to hear the whole remastered version of it as are a lot of people uh, a lot of my friends and i gotta think that that carries across so uh uh it the other thing i want to make sure we hit too is you guys do have an instagram account we do indeed yeah. orange, orange island rock, island rock. Yes. yes and yes. i'll add that that'll be in the bio for the show but go follow orange island rock and follow iodine uh on instagram it's a great way to keep up with the release of this record what you're doing what the other bands are doing and dave i could talk to you forever man this was so fun right back at you Wes. i really like i i i enjoyed just talking to you i could talk about music with you and probably life with you for yes. the rest of the afternoon. So yeah, this was I, super cool, man. Thank you, honestly, endlessly for the conversation, but also for just, I don't know, giving a shit. <laughs> I, I absolutely do. I, it, I, I, I very much still care because this music's personal to me. And as someone who created it, it's even more personal to you. So absolutely, um, man. Thank you again so much for, of for, course. for everything. Of course. And I'm going to, we'll finish, we'll say goodbye to everybody here, but I'll say a proper goodbye to you. So, uh, sounds like a plan. We'll talk to everybody next week. Take care. Bye. Why did we ever meet? Tell it to my face. Don't want to read it in the dirt sheet.